everybody. Chris Webster here to talk about one of the latest supporters to the Archaeology Podcast Network, The Motley Fool. Now, I've been investing in the stock market through various applications for a few years now, and everybody who's listening to this can benefit from that sort of investment for the long-term financial planning. And also, I know the hosts of these podcasts can benefit because as archaeologists, like none of us get retirement, <laughs> we all have to kind of fend for ourselves. So investing in the stock market is a good idea, but not everybody can do it. And look, we get it. The market is complicated and confusing, and to many of us, it simply doesn't make sense. In fact, where do you even start? Take all of the guesswork out of it with the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. The Motley Fool has been around for over 25 years and has been spot on in recommending some of the world's most important companies before they hit the big time. I'm talking about Amazon, Tesla, Netflix, Starbucks, all before they exploded in value. With their easy to use and super informative service, Stock Advisor, you could join the ranks before they potentially find the next big thing. After all, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And no need to be intimidated by financial jargon or market complexities. As the name suggests, these guys don't take themselves too seriously. Now, finances, that's a different story. Their friendly and relaxed approach has helped over 700,000 people move closer to financial independence, all while beating the market and having fun. New members can access Stock Advisor for only $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the full list price. Don't sit on the sidelines and think about what could have happened. Visit fool.com slash APN to start your investing journey today. That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 153 of a Life in Ruins podcast, where we investigate the careers of those living a life in ruins. I am your host, Connor Johnnan, and I am joined by my co-host, David Howe. This week, we are joined by the founders of Community Connections, a historical consulting company based out of Denver. Jessica and Jasmine, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having us. Yeah, doing good. Happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Is it like fieldwork season for you, you all? It's right about now, or? To be. It's about to be crazy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We were just talking about fall spring, right? So it's still kind of like hit or miss right now. But yeah, it's I hear it's gonna be really busy, especially for Jess. But we've got some field work coming up too. So that'll be that'll be fun. We can talk about that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are you guys uh based out of Denver right now? Is that what you're recording? Yes. yes. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I do love Denver. I never lived there, but I've been there a million times. Seems like a cool place to live. Where are you at now, David? I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Are you in a closet right now? I am. I am in my <laughs> oh. closet. I am avoiding all of the animals in my household. So this was the only place that worked. <laughs> Smart. No, you're, you wouldn't be the first or 15th guest that has done that, actually. Okay. <laughs> yep. This is where it's at. Yeah. So I guess we can get later, we can get into what you guys do, but I guess we wanted to start off with, you know, how'd you get into anthropology in general? We can start with Jasmine. Sure. So I actually got into archaeology before, anthrop I mean, anthropology, obviously it's all sure. connected and everything, but 
when I was about 12, I went overseas for a little while, like, t- like I think 10 days or something like, like that. And I stayed in England, Ireland and Wales, and I got to do a lot of really cool sightseeing. So at 12 years old, my brain was just like completely exploded with these like amazing cultural sites. And so ever since then, I just had this love for exploring culture and history and understanding how people used to live a long, long time ago. And like, lo and behold, that's archaeology. So <laughs> so I came back from that trip and I was just super inspired. And that really started my journey on figuring out like what archaeology is. And I ended up going to my undergrad and studying archaeology and eventually got my master's in anthropology with a concentration in archaeology from the University of Denver. So that's kind of the shortened sto- like version of like how I originally got into history and archaeology. Nice. What was uh, the coolest thing you saw overseas that really sticks out in your in your brain? Um, you know, I I got to see like Stonehenge, but that actually wasn't one of the most prominent memories for me because it was already like blocked off at that point when I went. So, you know, you were like in a bus, so you just get to like see it out the window. So it's like not really as impactful as you might hope it would be. But I think what was really impactful for me was actually kissing the Blarney Stone. So I didn't realize you had to lay on your back and like basically do a backbend and like hold on to these metal bars and like lean all the way back and like kiss the stone that's like on the outer wall of the castle. And I'm afraid of heights. Hmm. So that like took a lot of <laughs> a lot of courage for me to do that. And so I remember that really distinctly. And of course, you know, it's a iconic historical thing. But also, I think what was really impactful too was when I was staying in Ireland, I got to stay with a host family. So I got to have a little bit more of an inside view on like cultural practices and foods. And we took a like horse-drawn carriage through some of the mountain passes there. And it was super green and beautiful. And so I think, yeah, just those two memories like really stick out to me as just very vivid and impactful in a way because it was not just like historical, but it was also a cultural component there where I got to understand a little bit more about how people lived in different parts of the world. And I think that's really important too. So one could say you connected with the community. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I do have totally. a, a quick question on that though. Do they like wipe the Blarney Stone down before the next person kisses it, or how's that work? You know, they probably don't even let you do that anymore. But like back in, you know, when was that? Like early two thousands or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely in not. The before times. Yeah. In the before times. Yeah. 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 The BC before COVID. Yeah. For <laughs> real. I just took, looked at a picture of the Blarney Stone. It looks, I would have a bad time. Like, just like <laughs> the yeah. height it's at. It's it pretty like, sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it like a Disney, Disney, like Disney ride length wait to do it? I think yeah. it can be. I don't remember it being that long, but I was also 12. So yeah. it was a long time ago. <laughs> it, could, it could have been long. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. That is definitely corroded from faces being on it. Yum. <laughs> like all of those germs. Yeah, there's like, there's like a wet spot that never really goes away. Like, yeah. Just gross. What about you, Jessica? How did you get into archaeology, anthropology, history? Yeah. Let's see. So my dad was always into history. So I kind of had that baseline foundation of like oh this is something that's really interesting and then 
I mean, I see it seriously was watching the mummy. <laughs> I absolutely loved that movie and I wanted to figure out how to do that in my life. So yeah, let's see, that came out in 1999. So from watching the mummy, I just tried to figure out how I could like travel the world to get involved with any different culture. And it kind of just kind of boiled down to archaeology. And I was like, let's roll with it. Let's see what goes. Let's see what happens. And then I ended up going to, so I'm from Pueblo, Colorado, and there's the Pueblo Archaeological and Historical Society. And they had a monthly meeting and I showed up and I was, <laughs> they are the sweetest people. We still have connections with them and have worked with them a little bit. But yeah, they, they brought me in and started introducing me to absolutely everybody. So that was how it kind of all started happening. It was good time. Good time. Cool. <laughs> Shout out Brendan Frazier. Uh, yeah, right. we recently went and, and had a little talk at the Archaeological Society, and it was so sweet because, like, they just welcomed Jess back in, like, their long-lost daughter that had gone away and done all these amazing things and had come back to, like, share her journey. It was, like, really cool to see that connection there. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so I found like some of the nicest people can be in those like small archaeology chapters who are like really interested in what you do and you know ask you about stuff. I think that's something that any aspiring archaeologist should do is go to one of these meetings and be oh, welcomed yeah. in and be inspired. Hopefully, yeah, they're yeah. a great group. Super great. Great to have them. So what exactly is it you guys do? Because it sounds like what you both just explained has kind of led to that. Yeah, we do a lot of different things all combined under the under the name of Community Connections. So we're both field archaeologists that came together to really like, we're like, we want to change things. Like this is pretty much just salvage archaeology. So, you know, a lot of the cultural resource management world is. And so we wanted to come together to really show the public that there's actually archaeology around, that it's not dinosaurs, that it has nothing to do with Indiana Jones, and that it's all around us. So Jasmine can explain more on that. But like, yeah, we, we have a big mission, big goals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think primarily we use archaeology as a tool to talk about history and heritage and identity and what that looks like in communities. And using archaeology as a tool is, is really cool because it allows us to do all kinds of different things. It doesn't just pigeonhole us into just doing CRM or just doing this or that. It really opens the door to like all kinds of really unique, fun projects that some include fieldwork, some don't, some are just purely educational. Others like are assessment projects. Others are just purely consulting projects. So it just is really neat to be in a space where we've kind of kicked the door down on like the limits of like what we can do with archaeology in a CRM world and taking it beyond that and really using it as a way to connect people together within a community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's super cool. How did you guys meet? Was it on, on a CRM project or at a company? No. Or, oh. It was conference. Go to your conferences. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we met yeah. at the Colorado Council of Professional Archaeologists, their annual conference in Longmont in 2019. 18, 18 sorry. Yeah. 2018. Yeah. <laughs> and then we eventually went into business together April 1st of 2019. 
Right. So it was like a year of knowing each other, hanging out, and then yeah, then it yeah it all started from there. Yeah, we met yeah. through a, a mutual friend, and there she was like, "You've got to meet each other." So yeah. we did, and Jess was like, "I just like," she was like, "Hey, I'm Jess." I'm like, "Oh, hey, nice to meet you, I'm Jess." And she's like, "I'm going to the bar. You want to drink?" And I was like, "Uh." Sure. And so we just went and then we started talking and I don't know how we got on to talking about public archaeology, like community archaeology and stuff, but we just, we did. Yeah. It was like one of our very first conversations and we yep. were just like vibing. We're like, yeah, like we're so passionate. We're going to change the world. Like we're going to do this. And yeah, we just became friends over that year, first year. And then yeah, April 1st, 2019, we're like, let's, I don't know what we're going to do, but let's do something. <laughs> <We're doing it. laughs> Nothing bad is yeah. going to happen in the next year as we start a business. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Let's funny, go. like not our, like, it's not funny. Haha, but ironic. Yeah. Our launch party our was launch scheduled. Party. Yeah. yeah. On the day that they closed Denver down. So like her parents oh, were going to no. fly out. Like we had a whole venue booked and everything. Oh no. And then it was just like, <laughs> boom. <laughs> yeah. It was unfortunate. Well, it sounds like you guys yeah. made it through it, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we didn't really have any sort of like overhead or anything, like no employees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we were fortunate on that part, but yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what exactly like is it? Like, what's the day to day look like for you guys doing that kind of work? It varies oh, man. so much. Yeah, it's so different. <laughs> Some days we're in the field if we have a specific project, but that's like a very little part of what we do. I think a lot of what we do is we create so much content, I think. Don't you think, Jess? Yeah, I'd say a good chunk of the time we're at work, co-working spaces, each other's houses, coffee shops. And we're like, OK, we got to do we're making this pamphlet. We're going to make this for social media. We're going to make this for a course. So it's constant like creating and dreaming and making things look pretty like it's it's fine-tuning and creating all the time <laughs> yeah I think a lot of our projects we've partnered with nonprofits, and a lot of times we've found that they need a ton of help like with just creating materials that they can use in the community or like website stuff or just like yeah, informational things, or if they have an idea of a program they want to do, like they need so much help. They just like don't have those resources in house. So a lot of what we're finding is these projects are coming to us that are primarily educational and outreach facing. And so they're like, Hey, like we have an idea for this cool kids course, but we can't make it. And like, we don't have the ability to host it. So for example, we have on our website right now, it's a free course for kids on Obsidian and South Park. And that was sponsored by South Park Site Stewards and the Site Steward Foundation Incorporated of New Mexico. And it's just a free, like simple little course. It teaches kids how to make volcanoes and talks about yeah. obsidian and you know how it was used by ancient peoples to make tools and that's pretty much it but like South Park site stewards didn't have someone to actually build it they didn't have anywhere to really host it they didn't know how to like put it on a website so yeah. they just paid us to do that and so we're finding that a lot of our projects center around projects like that so I think mm -hmm. to be as general as possible it's a lot of outreach and education material that we are creating yeah do you enjoy that aspect of it? I guess it seems like everything's varied and you, any sort of project could come in in any sort of format. Do you guys really think you enjoy and kind of thrive in that, that, that kind of environment? For me, it's refreshing to be able to be like, okay, we have to do 
like Jasmine's the writing queen. Like she goes, she writes and writes and writes and writes and it's wonderful. And I'm so thankful. <laughs> but yeah, like we come together in a very balanced manner. I'd, I'd say like we have a lot of variety and it, it, I think it helps fuel different ideas for different, even other projects. And yeah, it's stuff. I love it. Yeah. I think what's really cool too, is we have the ability to be like, Oh, somebody should do this and then we can do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it's like, we should create like a social media oh. series on like, like I live in a house that was built in like 1921. And so I know I have archaeology in my backyard and we're like, oh, we should just do a series on like archaeology in your backyard and just like use it as an educational thing. Right. And like we can do that, you know, so I think what's really cool about this is it like really opens the door to like kind of just using archaeology as a tool, like yeah. I said before, but doing like all these really cool things with it that you cannot do in CRM. It's just not built that way. Yeah. You know, we're built to like be in the field and do nine day sessions and die and come back to life. <laughs> and, go, you know, go, and like, go. that's just not, and like, this is like all the happy, like fuzzy, warm feelings of archaeology. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so it feels really fantastic, especially, yeah, Jess was saying we make a really balanced team. And I a hundred percent agree with that. I think Jess is like an idea generator. Like she is so amazing at brainstorming and like coming up with these fantastic ideas and then like making an outline and be like, this is how we can do it. And then I'm really good at coming in and being able to like fill all that stuff in. Like I, like she said, I write a lot. Yeah. And so yeah. I think between the two of us, we just have a really unique relationship that we can really do some cool projects and Jess specializes in like pre-contact archaeology. I specialize in historic archaeology, which I don't know, we're probably changing that name at some point. I don't know what to call it now. It's post-European archaeology. Yeah. I have no yeah. idea. But yeah, so we do have this kind of like cool relationship where we can kind of hit all aspects of archaeology here in the U.S. And I think that makes us like pretty fierce. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I think on that note, we are going to end this segment. We'll come back in a second segment and talk a little bit more. Hey, archaeology podcast fans. Anyone that's heard me on a show has likely heard me mention coffee one or probably a thousand times. Coffee, however awesome it is, has some downsides and should be consumed in moderation. That's why we partnered with Laird Superfoods. They've got lots of stuff, but their coffee and coffee creamers have been engineered to taste better, provide functional benefits, and don't contain any refined sugars. So are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code ARCPODNETFEED at checkout and save 15% on your purchase today. You can also click the link in your show notes. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome back to episode 153 of a Life in Ruins podcast. We're here with Jessica, Jasmine, and unfortunately, David. <laughs> That's right. I, I wanted to start out and ask if you guys ever did a public archaeology course, field program, or if that was even em emphasized kind of in your undergraduate degree. For myself, yeah, I went to Colorado State University. 
My professor was, yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's where I met Connor. (laughs) And I definitely, I took a public archaeology class and that just lit. I actually, I took that public archaeology class and tried to get more involved with the the archaeology in my hometown of Pueblo, Colorado. The El Pueblo History Museum is down there and I used to volunteer and dress up in 1840s gear. I'd wear bloomers and all the things. and, and Yeah, and I, I had to show kids around and what chores were like back in the day. But anyways, when I took that public archaeology class, that kind of started everything to get for myself to get to where we are now because yeah like it i i got into the tourism industry because i I figured i wanted to start doing like maybe archaeological tours or just figuring out how to get people involved with archaeology and i didn't know exactly what that looked like but that class that single class definitely like launched everything for me did we take that together i feel like we were in the same i think yeah i always sat in the front right but i feel like you were around (laughs) i was in the back because i was Okay. Were you guys undergrads <laughs> together? Or were you a grad yeah. student? Okay. Undergrads. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I think Jason, our doctor in LaBelle, taught that class super well. And I'm glad yes. that that we even got the opportunity to take something like that. Because I think it's important. Oh, yeah. Not something that I don't is a part of all curriculums, mm-hmm. but it should be. <laughs> I didn't have to take it. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I didn't have anything like that in my undergrad. Although I did... I, I was a little special case. I specialized in Near Eastern archaeology in my undergrad. I was pretty set on like being a Israeli archaeologist and like being out of here. But, you know, life is interesting and that obviously did not happen. But <laughs> <laughs> my sweet little like 18 year old self thought it was a great idea. But yeah, in my grad school, absolutely. Definitely took some really cool classes. I think one of them that I really impacted me too was like digital anthropology. So talking about anthropology in online spaces and thinking about how we interact in that space and how that overflows into real life. And that was really interesting. But I also, one of my mentors and professors was Dr. Bonnie Clark at University of Denver. And she's the director of the Amache internment camp project down south in Coronado, Colorado. And so every other year, She's out there doing field work with her students and community members, has amazing relationships with some of the descendant community members down there. So that was really impactful to, I didn't actually get to go out there and excavate or anything, but just I had a bunch of classes with her where we would use some of those artifacts that they excavated and do data analysis and things like that on them. So lots of talk about involving the public and, you know, how you do like a proper ethnography and stuff like that, which was I think really great for any archaeologist to have some of those skills because even though we study, you know, what's in the past, a lot of times what is in the present informs some of those stories in the past. And so I think it's really important to pick up some of those skills. But I think the most impactful thing was I did my thesis work out in Connecticut and I got to work with the former state archaeologist who is now passed, but he was so influential in thinking about archaeology in public ways, he just invited like every single community member to our excavation, like Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, historical societies, neighbors down the road, like everyone. And it was just an amazing to see him sit and like talk to the public and teach them about archaeology. And it was really something quite special. And it really just, it hit me deep, deep down, like I'm getting emotional talking about it. But 
I think too, I've always kind of held on to that as Jess and I continue to build this because there was this this amazing sense of belonging and identity in those moments where he would share this history with the communities. So that was super inspiring. That's really cool because I've always found like, I mean, not the older generation of archaeologists, but just archaeologists in general, when you like had the community involved and you're discussing like people always listen, like archaeologists are always respected in that sense because you just know a lot of stuff. It's where people lived. And yeah, I wish more it could be like the indigenous, you know, people telling about it, but can't always happen when we're at an archaeological site. But like, yeah, it's just always cool. Like the community is always very involved and like really pays attention when, when we're talking about that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm glad you had that experience. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah, and it's it seems like local communities are obviously invested in these areas too. So if you can, and I think bringing in and talking to them is usually always beneficial. I mean, just to have that conversation. But and it's cool you got that you were taught that digital stuff because I think a lot of folks in our field don't ever get that kind of things. We, I mean, we're we're kind of just making this up podcast and digital thing, you know, right. making it up as we go. Cause it's not something that's taught in school to us. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Do they yeah. even teach podcasting in school? I guess maybe now they do. Like no. it, not when oh. I went, but <laughs> yeah, I think they have to. <laughs> everyone in their sister has one. So. Yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What kind of stuff did you guys learn in your, your public archaeology class? If you don't mind me asking. I think. Okay, I just remember there was so much. It was like a flood of information coming in. But I remember learning like how to set up my resume to like be oh, able wow. to present it to a CRM company. Connor, do you remember that? <laughs> Your face. Yeah, suggested. yeah, yeah. No, you know, yeah, I definitely remember that. We had, there was a huge book. I feel like Jason yeah. Bell had us like read a huge book. Yeah, there was books and articles. I remember reading the the Golden Trowel. I, it was such a cool article because he oh, had us act it out. Yeah, the Gar- Golden Marshall Town. That's it. Anyways, well, yeah, stuff like that. But the the our main project, like that, each one of us had to do. That's the thing that I was trying to do in El Pueblo History Museum. I think I remember him asking me. He's like, "Do you want to do something like fun, or do you want to do a project that's gonna change things and gonna be like meaningful?" And I was like, "Oh shit, <laughs> that is." <laughs> A great question. I guess I'm going to go for the meaningful answer. So yeah, I, I just, it wasn't necessarily the content that I learned so much. It was the, I don't know, the essence of it all of like, why are you doing this? Yeah. More or less. Yeah. I remember getting like specific examples of public archaeology, which was super helpful because then you can yeah. kind of see how people actually use the past um, to, to talk to people. I think that was Super useful. And I, yeah, I think that actually doing the project too was helpful at that time because you're like, yeah. I didn't feel like I was a professional or no, like, yeah. I just, I just got out of field school and now I'm going to try to like change the world Do or this. something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to work. <laughs> yeah. Jasmine, how, how about, what about you? Anything you remember specifically or? Uh... I think, yeah, I think I remember just a lot of examples of just like how to talk to the community, how to involve them, kind of like those nitty gritty details of outreach. And I think one of the things that struck me is like, it's a really, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And I think (laughs) a lot of times in archaeology, it's easier to just kind of like, you know, just like kind of 
put something nice over it and call it community engagement, you know, because <laughs> I think a lot of times, you know, you, it, it can be it can be scary to interact with the public because you just don't know how they're going to respond. And some people can be really mean, yeah. <laughs> like really, <laughs> really rude and mean. But I think that's like part of why we need to embrace it so much more is because I think there has been this kind of time where we all have kind of just ran away from <laughs> from these responsibilities. And as an archaeologist, if we're not involving the community or somehow like giving back with our projects, then like, what the are we doing? Like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we? It's just like archaeology for archaeology's sake. It's like in a vacuum. It doesn't impact or do anything for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. We're like contributing to the gray literature, essentially. I feel like exactly CRM, like it's hard to find ways to do that in CRM and ways in outreach, but it seems like you guys have found, found that niche. Are there any projects that you all are really proud of or besides all of them? Cause you, you know, yeah. (laughs) Any ones that you are really proud of what you kind of accomplished through that process? Definitely. We've got a few. I like, I don't know. Jasmine had some great connections and got us like so many random things happened for us to get into, to be able to survey red rocks. So that happened (laughs) and that's an ongoing thing. (laughs) Yeah. So that, that I'd say is one of them, but that, that is our pride and joy. Our babies (laughs) are like claim to fame if you will yeah so (laughs) Jess and I have like the honor and the privilege to be serving Red Rocks and we had our first season last year so we're still like on the ongoing process of getting all of the information together and writing reports and all that stuff but really the end goal of this project is to also, well, it's kind of a multi-component project. Like part of it is we absolutely need to survey the park because it's never been surveyed archaeologically in its entirety, which is just mind blowing to me. I still like, I have surveyed out there and I still cannot understand why this hasn't been done. (laughs) Anyway, so that is one component is like, we need to do an inventory for like responsibility's sake. Like we can't protect something we don't know about. Yeah. But the other part of that is using all of this information as a community engagement tool. So we're working with the education coordinator and the wildlife program director, in addition to the director of Denver Mountain Parks, to create educational content for Denver public schools so that we can give that out to teachers. Teachers can use it in their classrooms as kind of a foundational tool for learning archaeology. And when you learn archaeology, you learn a lot of other cool skills like critical thinking and math and like science, mm. all kinds, you know, like there's so many cool things that you can learn just by doing archaeology. It's not just like one thing. So we're really going to highlight some of those things and then use that as a base so that when students are able to, they can come out to Red Rocks. And Jess and I have identified a teaching site actually out there that's easily accessible. It's just a massive historic like picnic area. So it's nothing significant, but it has like every single color of glass basically out there. Hmm. So just that in itself is a cool tool to talk about like why are, why are glass different colors? Like, why does that happen? What is the science behind that? And then how does that help us date things in time? So having kids out there to actually use pen flags and like go mark stuff and talk about artifacts and things like that. So 
We'll also be doing some drone footage and creating DEMs to also talk about sites and like why that, like how we map them and what that looks like and what you can tell from a DEM and all those things. So we're not just doing archaeology for archaeology's sake, like we talked about, like we're actually taking all of this information and making it in accessible little snippets of things here and there that the public and especially our public schools can latch on to and use. Yeah. yeah. That's super cool. I assume you guys have found some weird shit at Red Rocks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd imagine it's a lot of like white claw and like craft beer cans or something. <laughs> there's there's plenty of that. There's there's some there's some other things too. <laughs> we so, found a drone, actually. You found a drone? That, yeah, that was weird. It was like also you could tell it was like hand soldered and like put together. So I don't know what kind of weird stuff they were doing, but we found yeah. it. Just still has it, I think, don't you? Because I don't think Shannon yeah. wanted it. The she director, she was like, like, I don't, she's like, away. I don't want it. <laughs> it's, it's just, the footage is just some dude, like, obviously. Oh, with footage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. footage. And he flew it straight up into the, there's a tower, like a cell tower up there. Oh. And that's like the worst thing to do with the drone is, it, <laughs> so it just, it completely interfered with the, the drone. Signal. Uh, yeah, the signal and everything. And the drone, you just watch it just like, you can, you just get dizzy watching it as it just tumbles down from the sky into this rock face. Oh my god! <laughs> so oh, that's no. where we found it. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's. I think one of the craziest things is like noticing, like the extent of how much people have been around Red Rocks. Like, like we went, like we have full roam of the park, right? So we're out there, like in places that we think that. Oh, for sure. People have not been yeah. here in a no, long time. Like there's like a Coors can, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. So New it's kind of crazy. Like, yeah, how like much people have been all over this place for such a long time. We did find some amethyst glass like up on this hillside after climbing these like crazy, like 90 degree angle rocks, which was <laughs> yeah. awesome. Just was like... <laughs> Has, just has, gets a little vertigo, so we <laughs> kind of just helping her. <laughs> I, I can't be up high and then look up, and that's exactly what I, need, I needed to do to get to the next spot. But I was just like, I'm gonna fall backwards. I'm gonna die here. <laughs> like this is how it all is. <laughs> so yeah. <anyways. laughs> so we found like two little amethyst like neck and finishings that like probably cork tops. Like just yeah. But like other than that, that's probably the oldest historic stuff that we found. And then there's a distinct lack of pre-contact, just like it's just yeah. absent. You tell and people just like yeah. walk right in and like, oh, I'm taking everything. So yeah. there's almost nothing there that we're finding so far. It's really unfortunate. Mm. It is really unfortunate. And like that's why what we do at Community Connections is so freaking important is because if people are educated and they understand that picking up artifacts and taking them home and putting them in a shoebox isn't helpful, even though it's cool to see them, it like completely rips apart a piece of our historic story. And so like Jess and I are out there trying to figure out more of what the cultural story of Red Rocks is. And we can already tell you that there's a huge chunk of it that's going to be missing. We actually got to go to CSU and look at a comparison collection that was excavated just north of like Red Rocks. Like like you could walk yeah. there from the park and 
just was like freaking the out because it was just beautiful material like absolutely gorgeous points and all kinds of like beautiful lithics so we know you know obviously historically we know anyway but like we know also just from this one single site that there should be beautiful things here and they're missing which Mm -hmm. just like really breaks your heart and like as an archaeologist you can just feel the void and it's creepy it's like not right it's weird yeah it was super weird yeah. yeah. Well, I think we're going to take a break and we'll come right back. If you are missing a drone, though, feel free to reach out to the Community <laughs> Connections people. Yeah, yeah, we got it. We can also give you some uh, informative material saying that you should not fly close to things that will interfere with your connection. <laughs> also illegal in the park, just FYI. Yeah, it's, so, it's yeah. super illegal. Oh. So yeah. Contact yeah. us on your own, like, you know. <laughs> pseudonym or whatever whatever you want to do (laughs) anonymously yeah there you go and we'll be right back back to episode 153 of a life nerds podcast i'm your host david howe i'm here with connor john and our friends with community connections we were just talking about the really cool archaeology and the drone you found at uh, red rocks but uh what are some like future projects you guys have coming up or things you're looking forward to we are so looking forward to International Archaeology Day (laughs) is on October 21st from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. We'll be in the southern lot (laughs) of the uh, Red Rocks Park. (laughs) Yeah, because we had done a bunch of work this last year at Red Rocks, we were speaking with the park director. Well, she's the director of Denver Mountain Parks, but... She's so enthusiastic, loves this whole project. She wants people to like fall in love with archaeology, just like we all have. And so she was hoping to have some sort of like bigger public component. And so when we brought through a random series of events, we, Jasmine and I were approached to take over International Archaeology Day, which has been going on for the past 11 years. And it kind of just fit perfectly into what we're all about. So we told Shannon about that and then it just kind of started taking like it's a life of its own so it's been really really fun so far but yeah I don't know Jasmine if you want to add more to that but (laughs) yeah yeah. oh my gosh it's been a monster but it's been my favorite (laughs) (laughs) so Roxborough State Park originally started International Archaeology Day like kind of here in metro Denver south I don't know it's not really metro Denver it's but anyway, it's kind of, but they started it with their volunteers and it was just kind of a small like park driven event. And it just continued to grow like year after year after year until it just, it outgrew Roxborough and they had to find another venue to host it. It got like, I think before the pandemic, they had like up to 800 people attending, which is like a lot. I actually didn't realize how big it was until I started getting into all the numbers for the grants that we applied for. So, yes. But last year, we were approached by someone on the IAD committee seeing if we were interested maybe in, in taking over the event because the original organizers were retiring from their park positions and just didn't like really want to take this on anymore. They've been doing it for 10 years, wanted to do some stuff of their own in their older age. And so, Again, as Jess said, this fits perfectly into our mission of spreading archaeology and educational outreach like to the community. And so last year, we spent the majority of the time just sitting on the IAD committee or IAD International Archaeology Day committee learning all the ins and outs of what goes into organizing this event. And it's a 
it's a pretty massive event. It's beastly. Last year, there were over 22 different organizations, all with tables and booths set up where you could just walk through and learn all about different kinds of archaeology projects. They also had like really cool stuff like lithophones set up that you could like play and they had oh. something on the oh, fur nothing. trade. Yeah. There was like the History Colorado was there with some cool activities for kids. So it's just like, it's a really cool vibe. Um, and so Jess and I decided to take this on. And since we're pretty small and still like newly growing, we partnered with Colorado Preservation Inc., which is a nonprofit. And they applied for a grant in partnership with us to run and host International Archaeology Day at Red Rocks Park and Amphitheater. So we are like super thrilled. I, we think it's just going to be the coolest project ever to continue growing. We have a lot of really amazing partners and collaborators, but we're always looking for more. It's international. So we're really trying to grow the diversity part of this event. So I think I had mentioned earlier that like I had studied like Israeli archaeology and I still have great connections over there. And so we're pulling in that connection. We're going to have some Mesoamerica archaeology. I'm also on the board of Schreiger Ranch, which is like a pretty cool historic resource down south. And it's Austrian. So they're going to show up and talk about some Austrian culture. And then we're doing our best to include as many people as we can from the BIPOC community. So looking at indigenous, black, Asian. Asian, Mexican, Chicano, like all of these other types of partners that a lot of times are just on the fringes and get left out. And so Jess and I are doing our best to kind of reinvent this so that it becomes more inclusive. And the organizers have done just an amazing job at building this. And we really believe in the work that they're doing. So we're just going to try to grow it bigger and have it at Red Rock. Jess and I are doing kind of like one of festival vibes. So <laughs> we're going to yeah, do we're like, we're gonna have like, yeah, we're going to have a stage for speaker and we're going to have a food truck and a little mini beer garden. It's going to be, it's going to be pretty sweet. If I say one, so. One of the food trucks actually is a, an Apache sibling pair. So there's there, they have their own food truck that they take around mostly Colorado Springs, but sometimes Denver and whatnot. And we've got members of the Northern Arapaho, they're going to do a teepee demonstration and all sorts of stuff. So, oh yeah, hopefully everybody can make it. It's going to be so fun. You had me at festival vibes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Peace and love. <laughs> Was it? Yeah. We're going to, we're like creating a, we're going to have like a little photo booth. It's going to be like a banner of like the IED like logo or like, so every year we have an artist draw something, some artwork. And we've been working with Elena Haverlook, who just does amazing, beautiful, beautiful illustrations. But she has been drawing like scenes from like Red Rocks and stuff. And so we're going to like do a big banner with like some cool Red Rocks art on it. And you can like take your picture from the ID banner. It's going to be <laughs> so cool. Oh my gosh. I'm such a nerd, but it's going to be awesome. <laughs> no, I love, I love the enthusiasm. It's, I'm excited for it. Heck yeah. Elaine is a, a good friend of mine. She's, she's really talented. We should probably get her on the show at some point. You should. Yeah, she's awesome. Definitely. Yeah. I was just wearing her shirt that she designed the, like yesterday with the points on it. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. In addition to like some of those like bigger projects that we have, we also like 
I think I mentioned earlier, do some work with nonprofits. Jess, do you want to share kind of with one of our most recent projects? It's, I think it's so cool. It's one of my favorite things so far. Yeah. So Connor, you had mentioned the enthusiasm and like passion that the smaller communities have. We were approached by Jai and a woman named Senda from the Lakewood Historical Society. And they are, they are, they are so passionate and so knowledgeable about the, what they have and apparently in the next probably year or so there's going to be a big push in Denver to begin zero scaping and getting rid of the different like lawns and yards that take up a lot of water we're trying to like they're trying to get to minimize that basically and so Senda realized that by doing this a lot of yards are going to be torn up so that's very unfortunate if they, if people find things like artifacts or whatever, like they, they're not going to know what they're finding. So they'll probably just mm. toss it away. So the Lakewood Historical Society came to us to be like, hey, can you help us create something to get people to know what archaeology is, know what it looks like in this area? And then like just we can kind of start like a database or something like that. So it all formed into this whole thing. And now it's called the Guardians of <laughs> I always mess this name up because I always want to say Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's it's just as epic. Like it's so fun. So it's the Lakewood Historic. Wait, Jasmine, tell me what it is. <laughs> I was just okay. It's it's Guardians of Historic Lakewood. Thank you. Yes, yeah. Guardians of Historic Lakewood. So, anyways, we're creating a pamphlet. We're gonna have like chat with an archaeologist days. People are gonna fill out forms of not extensive forms, but just like, what did you find? Is it metal? Like a Google form, basically. Yeah. Yeah, Something nice and simple. Yeah. To help track data. So yeah. So Justin and I are going to create a handbook, like a citizen archaeology handbook that'll be digital. And so anyone that wants to sign up for the Guardians of Historic Lakewood program will get a handbook and it'll have like really basic information in there. Like, like if you find this, it, this is a nail. Like this is a, you yes, know, yeah. this is window yes. pane glass. It's flat, yeah. you know, like stuff, you know, just really basic things, but things that you would find like around a household um, and have pictures and descriptions and stuff in there. So people can use that to kind of identify what they have. And then that will direct them to like the Google form on the Historical Society website where they can like log their information and what they found. And then the historical society is going to take that information and do some really cool projects with it, like creating story maps and talking about where certain things happened and how we can tell from, you know, these artifacts or, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens when people start actually, you know, submitting their data, but it really empowers people to take care of these items rather than just like stashing them somewhere or just throwing them out it gives them like meaning and they know what to do with it and I think that's really important so again like that educational component of empowering just Mr. Joe across the street to be like you can be an archaeologist you can be everyone can be an archaeologist you know (laughs) and it all empowers us to continue protecting our history and to be actively recording that history too, because a lot of times like that private, as we know as archaeologists, we don't know a lot of intimate details unless there's like a diary or there's like an outhouse or, you know, there's, you know, there's like a privy, right? We don't get a lot of like intimate details of how people were living. And so I think this is a really cool approach to capturing some of that intimate data that would otherwise just be gone. 
there's just no other, there's no reason to, you know, have hire an archaeologist to come to your backyard. Mm-hmm. But if you empower citizens to know what they're finding and to be able to report that and, and tell somebody about it, then like we can really start talking about some cool stuff, I think, just even from a, like a research perspective. Yeah. Also, the Butterfly Pavilion showed a lot of interest in this project as well. So they're probably going to give information as well to when people are told, please, you know, rearrange your yard. The Butterfly Pavilion is going to be like, well, if you want to help the environment, here are some local plants that help pollinators and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be a nice guide for the community to really understand what is happening around them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And mixing like archaeology and environment is like so great. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Just the uh, like the fact that you guys are talking with people in the community about like what the Google form and stuff too. like, I've just found a lot of people have no idea where to start with that. Like, oh, I found an artifact. Who? There's no like 911 for an archaeologist. So like they just put it in a coffee can and put it on like somewhere. But if you say like, hey, like an archaeologist came and looked there, like they, the school knows about this, like artifact we have, it makes it even cooler to them too. So that, I, I like that a lot. Yeah. 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 We're excited to see where it goes and how it starts. I, f- I imagine it's like a little snowball right now. Right. And then like once people like know that it's available and like latch on to it, it's just like going to grow and grow and grow. And what's cool about this is the historical society is really really into sharing this, like duplicating this for other historical societies. So they're not like gatekeeping or like trying to like make it just their own thing. Like they want to share this program and have it duplicated like throughout different historical societies around the state or even abroad. And so I think like that's a really cool way of envisioning like how do we continue to connect people together on a broader scale. No, that's that's super cool. I think it's we're going to have a lot more archaeologists on our hands if this keeps yeah. going the way it seems like it's going, which is awesome. I think that's we should all learn to love and respect and try to understand the past. Yeah. And it seems like in other other disciplines, the citizen science approach works like it always seems to work and benefits the communities. So I'm glad that you guys are taking that kind of approach. It's going to be cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're thanks. Excited. I guess, do you have any like closing remarks on what you want to do with it or like anything you're proud of about the community connections? Anything you want to let the world know? (laughs) (laughs) I guess just like archaeology matters and science matters. And the more you know, the better off you'll be. So if you ever have any questions, just let us know. And yeah, I'm sure there's plenty more to say, but yeah. I think I think what's really I think through all this learning and growing and building a business and being a field archaeologist and like running my body into the ground and trying to figure out why the heck why do I even want to do archaeology because there are those moments when you question yourself like did I really pick the right every day profession? <laughs> I think what I've learned is that one archaeology is absolutely viable and it's a profession that we really do need and we have just made it one thing and it is not just one thing there's so many other things that go into doing archaeology and really doing it well but the other thing I think too is that and this is really sorry my dog (laughs) (laughs) The, the other thing 
number two that is really important, most important, is that people matter. And that is why we do this, is because people are the most valuable resource that we have. And documenting them and what they've done in the past is a privilege and it's an honor. And I think that that is the thing that I want to I want to tell everybody listening that, you know, this is this is serious work and we're doing the best we can to make it applicable for everybody. So, yeah. Awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah. So before we end the show, we usually ask the folks we have on to if you have any recommendations for books, articles, videos, apps, you know, anything you would recommend for people who are interested in public archaeology. Yeah. One book I read is called Archaeology and Community Service Learning. It's edited. I don't know if I'll say this guy's name right, but it's Michael S. Nassane, N-A-S-S-A-N-E-Y, and Mary Ann Levine. And again, it, it, it provides a lot of examples of community archaeology and public archaeology, but it also talks about some of the strategy behind why they did the project that they did and how they did it and why they did it the way that they did. So I think that's really helpful to learn kind of like the behind the scenes of public archaeology and that there really is a lot of work and effort that goes into curating these experiences. You can't just like slap it together. It's like, it's a process. So I think that was something I think that really has helped me in my journey and understanding like how to work with the community, especially using archaeology. Yeah. Yeah, I've got, so the book that Connor and I, one of the books that we had to read in class, I did pull that up. (laughs) So I think it was, it was beneficial for sure. It's the ethical issues in archaeology. And it's just kind of a culmination of a bunch of people's work coming together, but it just teaches you and gives you different perspectives of how and why to work with the public and in different aspects and whatnot. But also, if someone's interested in public archaeology, definitely, if you can, go to like conferences and such, because the more people you know, the better. And it'll just help to expand maybe what you're looking to do with public archaeology and all of that. But yeah. Or your local archaeology society. Like here we have Colorado yeah. Archaeological Society CAS. The resources like that are amazing to get you connected into archaeology. And it gives you also that community perspective, too, because those organizations are community driven. Uh-huh. So it gives you that inside view. So, yeah, I think that's cool. a good suggestion. Just good idea. Yeah. Where can the listeners find you guys on social media or about your business? You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Community Connections LLC. And then also our website, communityconnections.biz, which we're talking about artifacts. So we built a resource called the Artifact Identifier. And it's all about if you find something while you're out, like what do you do with it and who do you tell? So that is also a free resource on our website. And you can go there. It's like right on the front page and you can download it for free and pop it on your mobile. So when you're hiking, you know what to do. (laughs) Cool. That's an excellent resource. Awesome. Because this is a Life of Ruins podcast, we do have to ask you a very important question, which I think I know the answer for because you, you both are very passionate about the past. <laughs> if you were given the opportunity to kind of do this all over, would you still kind of choose to live a life in ruins? <laughs> yeah. I can. 100%. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Good. Awesome. So we just interviewed Jessica Erickson and Jasmine Saxon. Is that right? Yes. The show notes will have their website, their handles, Instagram, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Can you guys just please rate and review the podcast? I'm not even going to go into it. Just just rate and review the podcast and hit the stars. <laughs> you know how to do it. <laughs> Share it with a friend. 
lambast us on Reddit, whatever you want to do. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It was great. Yeah. Thanks for listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a Life in Ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. And as we close the show, Connor, do you have your witty, stupid joke? <laughs> stupid? <laughs> I don't remember what we call it. I think... <laughs> yeah, I do. So I changed all my passwords to Kenny. Now I have all Kenny logins. Oof. Uh. <laughs> See what I mean? Oh my god. That groan is what I live for. Alright. Sounds good. Yeah, see you guys next week. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Come.